0: Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam and with me as always is my buddy Jude. How are you Jude?
1: Hey, I'm doing good,
0: Sam. How are you? Very well, mate. Again, it's been a while since our last podcast, but it's great to get back into it again. Today, we'll be continuing our podcast on the great Australian dream buying your own home. Last time, we were talking about choosing the right suburb and the property configuration that will fit your own circumstances and lifestyle. Now it's time to discuss inspections and talking to real estate agents. So, Jude, can you share a little bit about your own experiences? in what it's like attending inspections and talking to those dreaded real estate agents.
1: (laughs) Not all of them are dreaded, some they're pretty all right. (laughs) But I think just continuing from that same point you mentioned, right, once you really narrow down on the area or the location that you really want to look at properties, I think the next important step is to go in for those inspections and, you know, real estate agents play a key role in that because it's about the stock that they have in hand in those suburbs. So a couple of things that you can do as, you know, potential buyers in those areas is one is obviously check for, you know, any feedback you can get on real estate agents. You know, realestate.com, for instance, has got a view for, you know, having a look at any feedback provided to real estates, as well as a star rating system where it deciphers how good that agent is. And this is, again, all from actual feedback from people who have gone through the process. So that is one good place to really start off with. And also what that really does is then it gives you an idea as to who are the prominent real estate agents within the suburb. And Mm. the reason why I say that's important is because uh, what you'll tend to see is those real estate agents have got majority of the stock within that particular suburb. So, you know, you've got to keep them informed that, you know, you are definitely an interested buyer, not to really go overboard in terms of divulging every information about yourself. But what you really need to do is at least state to them that you're a serious buyer and then so that when something really comes up in line with your uh, parameters and your circumstance, your budget, so on and so forth, then you could, uh, you know, they can reach out to you. But once they have you in the system, then that's the that's the way they keep you posted on new stock, which comes into the market. If you think it's taking too long, you can always reach out to them and ask them, hey, you know, why is it taking so long? Are there any potential, um, you know, adjacent suburbs which really can work as well? So, real estate agents and knowing them will will go a long way in terms of helping you to get your property in that particular location.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think just not disclosing too much to them but disclosing enough so that at least they can be helpful for your situation and for them to find properties that match your criteria that match the range that you're looking at in terms of your your budget i do think it's kind of wise just to leave a little bit of a buffer don't disclose your maximum budget leave a little bit of room in there because i think real estate agents they will still try to test the waters a bit and go you know10,000, 20,000 over your, your maximum limit anyway. So right. I think it's wise just to you know not fully disclose your your maximum budget. But you're right. Look, they are a little bit in a way part of the whole team of people that you need in order to actually find the right property, do all the paperwork and all the things that need to go into finalizing a property purchase so in a way they are kind of part of the team to an extent but you want to just keep them at arm's length um i would say you don't want to you know fully divulge too much so that you know they take advantage of your situation you definitely don't want to do that but you need to find that balance where you do give them enough information so that at least that can be useful to you in your search for your dream home so now that's, that's, that's just my two cents.
1: <laughs> now that is actually so true, and I think that's that's a very valid point that you raise because what you've got to realize in the end, it's obviously they they have to safeguard the seller's interest and in, so to speak because
0: mm.
1: in a way, uh, you know, their fees and commissions are tied into the sale price. Right? Correct. So Correct. you've always got to you've always got to keep in mind that obviously they are going to be helpful to you throughout this process, but their end goal is to get the maximum out of you. Right. So correct. Uh, you've got to keep, uh, as you rightly said, don't really disclose your max budget, but give uh, you know some space for a wiggle room in terms of if in case it gets serious in terms of that negotiation. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And talking yeah. about negotiations, like you know, once you really go in there and you like a property, and then the next steps is obviously for you to review the contract terms, and I think that's how you reach out to the the agent saying that hey, uh, could I just have a look at the contract documentation? so that I can pass it on to my conveyancer for further review and I think an important component about that contract and review is uh, understanding section 32 so Sam could you just give us some insights as to how you went about it for your property
0: sure no worries so I guess when you attend the property inspection, a lot of the time, the real estate agent will actually ask you, okay, would you like a copy of the Section 32? Or you might actually ask the agent yourself, if you're quite keen on the property, I'd like to review the Section 32. So the Section 32 is this, a fancy term for the contract of sale of the house or the property. It's, it's a legal document. So I guess you do need to take it seriously. And this is where your very helpful conveyancer really earns their dollars because they're going to be helpful to you in reviewing that contract. So I guess the way my partner and I did things was when we were reviewing a section 32 of a property that we were interested in, we would go over the document ourselves. We would try to highlight things that we wanted further clarification or further information on, or we highlighted things that we thought were potential red flags or something that might be you know, not so in our favor. So we we definitely highlighted all of those. We waited for our conveyancer to also review the contract. Our conveyancer was pretty good. They were, you know, normally able to have a look at the contract within the next day or two, but just allow them that space, whatever amount of days, you know, is, is normal for them to review a contract. Just agree, I guess, in a date and time when you guys want to communicate again and discuss the section 32 normally it shouldn't take more than 10-15 minutes normally what my partner and i did was we just went over our highlighted sections what we what we found in the contract and what we wanted to ask uh the conveyancer what do you think about x y and z we would go through those things and then we would also just allow the conveyancer an opportunity to highlight any anything outstanding themselves that we may not have picked up when we did our own review so there might be some special conditions or something in the contract that we may have missed that the conveyancer actually picked out so we want to allow time and space for them to pull those points out as well but i guess look Generally speaking, what you need to be aware of in a Section 32 is the permits, the fixtures, the zoning of your property, the easements. So what I mean by that is so things like the water sewerage in your property, where's the demarcation for for that. You want to try and understand any special conditions in the contract. And another thing to kind of look out is sometimes they'll have something called a covenant mm-hmm. in place as well. So yep. a really common covenant that I saw in Section 32s were Things like only one dwelling on the land, which means that it's only the single house that can be permitted on that block of land. So that mm-hmm. may or may not be an issue. It depends on your future plans. If you want to subdivide the property later on, then obviously that covenant will be a little bit of an issue. But mm-hmm. I think it's just something to discuss further with the conveyancer. It might not be a, a be or and an end door, but I think it's just important to call out that there there are generally covenants in a section 32 and you just need to be aware of what those are.
1: Yep no fair point and I think all of those points make it aligns with technically how we went through that process as well and I think that key component there Sam which you called out was you know uh, setting some time with your conveyancer to just understand a bit of that section 32. It's, it's mm. quite easy you know to just you know, just leave it to the experts, so to speak. But you've got to also take a little bit of that ownership to try to understand and make sense in terms of the
0: document. 100%.
1: So, you know, what it's just not leaving it to the experts, but also taking that initiative from yourself, right, to try to understand what's there. You know, it's important, like some of the points which you raised about building permits, it's so so key because you need to ensure that you know any extensions or any uh, changes to the property have been accounted for because you know the council can at any point of time if in case someone raises it can always come and point it out at those extensions or those changes in construction mm-hmm. so you need to be aware of all those components and you know having the conveyancer with you throughout those different steps can really help a long way in for you to understand those uh, section 32 in in a bit more detail yeah Yep.
0: yeah yeah so, absolutely
1: yeah, that's, that's some really good points there, Sam. Thanks for sharing that that experience. But, you know, obviously, once you're really happy with all those details, what your convenience really spoken through, you're happy with the conditions, it comes into that really next exciting step, I would say, like, you know, going in, <laughs> putting in an offer, either two ways, you go in and attend an auction or you put in an offer for a private sale. Let's start off with the auctions and you know, I I didn't go through that experience because I thought that was too much of an emotional roller coaster for me. (laughs) So I I kinda stayed away from that option. But I I know for a fact, Sam, that you had gone through at least one of the auction process. So could you just share some light on that whole process?
0: Yeah, sure, mate. So yes, in the journey to finding my principal place of residence, I did I, I did attend an auction One where I definitely wanted to try and actually be the winning bidder and secure the property. So it was a property that I guess my partner and I were quite interested in. It ticked a lot of boxes. We looked at the property probably three or four times (laughs) before the auction. And we also did a lot of preparation for that auction as well. And when I mean a lot of preparation, what I mean is we attended auctions to other properties to understand the whole feel and environment of a live auction we probably attended at least four or five auctions we also watched a lot of youtube videos on auctions as well with different tactics in terms of you know where you should be positioned all the way down to you know trying to put in funny numbers for your bids and things (laughs) like that it got it got pretty insane actually but anyway when when the day came when the big day came we lasted quite a long time in the auction we were basically one of the final two people that were left in the auction and it did get quite emotional both my partner and I were you know quite keen to secure the property and you know we told ourselves okay we're not going to go over a certain limit all right this is our hard stop we we talked about it you know repeatedly three or four days prior to the auction yet you know on the day our emotions actually got to us and we exceeded that limit so That just you know shows that anyone can be vulnerable when these things happen when your emotions kind of take over so we went above our hard stop and even then we unfortunately weren't able to secure the property so at that point in time you know we pulled out we didn't submit any more bids the other party put in a bid that was a little bit higher than ours and we ended up losing the auction so Look, it it definitely felt really bad afterwards that I'm not going to lie about that. But I think, you know, having looked back that experience, I think we were actually grateful that it didn't end up going our way because it was actually quite 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 a lot over our limit, actually. And, you know, we're recording this now in March 2023. And with the current situation there's you Correct. know a, a no stop in terms of interest rates in terms of how high they're going to go up now so yeah. i think all in all we're actually quite glad that it didn't end up being ours and it was yeah. you know kind of like a blessing in disguise but yeah. it was it was a good experience i guess in learning about you know what what's an auction like and really partaking in an auction and i guess you know people listening now can kind of just share can kind of hopefully learn from my experience so look what i would say is if you can avoid auctions avoid auctions (laughs) is (laughs) is the bottom line if there's a property you're keen on and it is actually going to be placed on auction you can still try and negotiate with the agent to see if the seller will be willing to accept an offer under private sale conditions yeah that's that's definitely the way i would go about it because there are a lot of things that are unfavorable to to a buyer under auction conditions so the yep. first one is there's no cooling off period uh, yep. so if you are the winning bidder for an uh-huh. auction you are obligated by law to sign that co- sign that contract there and then Got and it.
1: so it's like an unconditional kind of thing
0: correct 100 percent. it's unconditional you have to basically then go through the with that purchase of the property it's not going to be subject to finance it's not going to be subject to a building and pest you you have to take the property so that's one of the big things i guess people need to understand with auctions yep with a private sale you have a lot more flexibility as a buyer so you do have a cooling off period with a private sale you've got a three-day cooling off period yep And you can also make your offer subject to building and pest, and also subject to finance. So you can make it subject to both of those conditions, or just one of those conditions. It's up to you. So I do think, definitely from a buyer's point of view, the private sale route is definitely the more favorable route.
1: No, no, spot on, spot on. I'm still hats off to you for going through that auction process (laughs) because I found the private sale process as well pretty daunting. So yeah, I can definitely imagine how the the auction process would have been, it'd been one notch higher to be in yeah. terms of the emotional uh, aspects with the process. But you're absolutely right. You know, in, in, with the private sale, uh, and I, just in my case as well, that uh, we had plugged in a couple of subject to conditions. Mm. We, we like this property, we, we put in the offer, it was accepted, but we put two clauses into it as, is, as you called out, which is, you know, subject to building and pest and in the finance. And I can't really emphasize the importance of really having uh, emphasize enough of having this building and pest done for any of the properties because you've got to look at it from two aspects. One is obviously this is something which you're going to reside in uh, from an investment perspective as well in the future. You want to just make sure that you've bought a right property with good bones, but also from a health and safety perspective as well. That's you're going to be staying in the property, so you've got to just ensure that there's everything in place within the property structurally as well. And you've got to understand the the report which comes out from that building in best because you know, it's all good and uh, well and said in terms of the inspector giving you a go ahead. But then, you know, they also take the time if in case you decide to have a conversation with them to understand which are the areas within the property that you may need some work on. And I think that's key to understand what's there in the report so that, you know, you can ensure those things are rectified as well. Yeah. So that yeah. was something which we've done from our... Our side where we had plug, plugged in those two conditions and you know i think once we had given the go-ahead for both sorry the, the building in pairs then after i think in our case i think after a two weeks period that the offer becomes unconditional and mm-hmm. that's how it went in further and you know obviously uh towards the settlement uh, period but i think I, i'm assuming sam your your route was predominantly the same way right like you know put it a subject and uh subject to clause condition within the contract
0: yeah that's right so uh, for the property i did end up buying with my partner we did make the offer subject to finance and subject to building and pest in a way we already knew that the finances would be okay but we just kind of wanted to to have that in there anyway and we did say uh subject to building and pest something that i want to just mention is that I my partner and I actually pulled out of a sale of a property Mm -hmm. because the building and pest wasn't up to scratch. So Mm -hmm. I can't remember the exact details of what was structurally wrong with the property now, but we actually did end up taking back our holding deposit and not going through with the purchase of the property because the building and pest was was not up to scratch. So again, just emphasizing that you know both Jude and I believe that it's a very valuable step in the process. So definitely, you know, we recommend to people to to definitely do it. You know, through our experiences, it's it's something that uh, we found very worthwhile. So I just want to mention that we did actually pull out of one because of building and pest, but for the one we ended up. Buying the building and pest was all good when we when we initially signed the contract, we had to put down a holding deposit I believe it was about 0.01 or 0.02 percent somewhere between a thousand two thousand dollars something like that and that holding deposit can be refunded if The building and pest doesn't work out or the finances don't work out. You are eligible to get that holding deposit back Yep. But once, I guess, once once the finances come through and once the building and, and pest has, has been um, validated and there's nothing wrong with the property, then you are basically obligated to go through with the purchase of the sale of the property then, at which point it becomes unconditional. So normally at that point, you have to put down your 20% deposit. Yep. It goes to the trust account for the real estate agent and then you know upon settlement those those funds get released for the settlement of the property so the only thing i want to just mention with the private sale is of course you don't know for sure when the when the real estate agent says hey look we've got another buyer that's putting in another ten thousand dollars are you willing to match that or go further yeah you know you do you're in the dark a little bit right you don't know from that Whether real estate agent or if, not. if exactly if that if that buyer quote-unquote exists or not right so i guess yep. that is one disadvantage that i'll definitely call out with the private sale where with an auction you know your competitors right in front of your eyes you are kind of left in the dark a little bit with the private sale you kind of have to put i guess a little bit of trust in the agent and they're not going to be dubious and and do the right thing and actually you know tell you all right there is a buyer or there isn't a buyer and you know how how you're doing um in terms of whether or not you're the front runner for the property or not i guess that's just one uh, disadvantage to call out but in all other instances i personally find the private sale method to be more favorable f- for the buyer you yeah, know
1: absolutely and i think that's a fair point you raised because i think first, when i mentioned about those emotional roller coasters that you go through even in the private sale Mm. Like that was definitely something which I experienced as well, um, mm. because you really don't know your competition. You, you obviously you've, right. got to take, you've got to take whatever comes in through the real estate agent as you know the the truth, so to speak. So you've got to give them that benefit of the doubt there, but it is a pretty tedious process because at least i have not just one but I, I experienced it within a couple of properties which you know uh, we were going back and forth as to you know whether i wanted to match it so on and so forth so mm-hmm. uh, that's a good call out there sam because that is a key component as well which is you know something you get to see within the auction all the competition out there versus something which is hidden when it comes to you know the private sale process mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's definitely yeah. a good call out and i think the next most important step once you know you go through all your subject to clauses and your auctions and your private sales, and I think the next component is in this entire process is the settlement period that you define within the contract sell as well. And I think there are a couple of options that you obviously have, right, from 30 to 120 days. I've seen instances where the, you know certain sellers want to keep a longer period of time as well because you know the the sale of their existing property is going to be funding their new property. So in that case, they want to have a longer settlement period, whereas sometimes the notion is if you have a shorter settlement period, you know, you stand with an advantage because the seller wants to get the, done with the process within the shortest period of time, get the cash at hand and then move on to the next phase. Mm. So I've seen both the ends of spectrum when it comes to, you know, 30 as well as the 120. One important call out, and I think we mentioned that in the earlier parts as well, is In order for a quicker transaction to take place you've got to have your pre-approvals in place right in Mm -hmm. order to ensure those 30 days settlements because without that and without really you know coordinating and with all the people concerned that 30 days could be a bit time uh, constrained in a way so you have got to ensure that that's all there in place because there are a couple of things associated with it if you know you don't have your coordination done with all the different parties involved one is obviously penalties and interest if you if there's failure to settle on a particular date as well so mm. you've got to make sure that you know you adhere to the settlement dates and you can ensure that all your funds get you know sorted out within that period of time mm-hmm. and i think sam in your case as well that a regular conversation with your conveyance and broker was a key step in this process wasn't it
0: yeah yeah absolutely you definitely need to keep in regular contact with your conveyance and broker once the contract of sale is all finalized. Maybe just to add a little bit to the 30, 60, 90, 120 day settlement periods, Personally speaking, if you're, if you're a buyer, you probably want a longer settlement period just so that you know, you've know you got everything in place, you know that you've got your, your funds from the bank uh, sorted out, you've also got your own deposit sorted out, you know where the money is going to flow from which account to which account when the settlement actually takes place. If you can negotiate a longer settlement period, it's normally what would be the best course of action for, for a buyer. For a seller, yeah, you're right. Normally, it's the opposite way. You know, They want to get their cash as quick as possible. So probably they would try to advocate for either a 30 or a 60-day settlement. Probably 60 or 90 is the most common. 120 is starting to get a little bit long. I initially said 120 <laughs> when I put in my, my first offer, but they knocked it back and saying, oh, it's just too long. And uh, we, we agreed on a 90-day settlement. But like Generally speaking, if you're a buyer, you you would want the longest possible uh, settlement period, just so that there's no surprises. The settlement day, you know, can be quite stressful if you don't have things going your way. And if there's a last minute scramble, you know, it becomes really a a nightmare for you if you have to scramble to get things done at the last minute to go through, you know, what is probably going to be your largest purchase in your lifetime. So, you know, you just want to make sure that you've got enough breathing space. That's why I definitely recommend longer periods but that regular communication with your conveyancer bro- and and broker is just so essential and so fundamental your broker should be able to give you a really good idea after the contract sign what would be the full settlement amount to to settle the property so you have to make sure that you've got all those funds ready and prepared uh, yep. your conveyancer will actually calculate to the cent uh-huh. Probably a week or two before settlement what the exact figure needs to be, because what will happen is the council rates, the water rates, those kind of things they need to be prorated in that settlement calculation. So they'll need to just add all those figures up. Also, just adding, you know, what your holding deposit was, what your 20% deposit was, and then, you know, do all those sums to work out. Okay, on settlement, what do you need in order to to settle the property? So your conveyancer will will calculate all that for you, but your broker will, will be able to give you a really good idea quite early in the process.
1: No, that is that is that is great. I, mean, I think because those are some key points that you really called out right there. And I think. And another thing which you mentioned about uh, I think when we were talking earlier was, you know, certain conditions pertinent to, you know, the tenants in common and about the ownership criteria and something. Can you share Hmm. some light on that if possible?
0: Yeah, sure, sure. So I guess in between the period of the contract being finalized and the actual settlement taking place, your conveyancer will have a conversation with you about what kind of ownership structure you wish to have for your property. Mm -hmm. So the first one i'm going to talk about is tenants in common this is where if you're buying with your friend or friends or buying with your brother or sister is the common ownership structure and what tenants in common mean is that say one party unfortunately passes away the rights of ownership of that property are not automatically transferred Uh, to the other parties it goes through the whole um, estate transfer process when someone passes away uh, they need to kind of go through the whole uh, the will and uh, what's written in the estate of that person in order to work out what's going to happen to that property now this is different to what's called joint tenants this is more common for married couples where if let's say one person unfortunately passes away the rights of the property are automatically transferred to the other party regardless of the will and regardless of anything else the The rights of that property are automatically transferred to the other party Got so it. that's just something to keep in mind that there's two different ownership structures tenants in common normally used for family and friends and siblings and then joint tenants normally use for married couples but I think when when it's time for our listeners to do all of this I think um, you need to have a really robust uh, conversation with your conveyancer uh, Mm -hmm. to work out which ownership structure is going to be right for you and then go from there because what I've just said is very generic in nature and everyone's circumstances are going to be different so definitely just have that really solid and robust conversation with your conveyancer and you should be able to work out the right path for you after that.
1: Perfect. Perfect. No, I think that's some, that's a good call out there because as you rightly said that, you know, everyone's condition is different. So it's better to just speak to your conveyance and just align it with your circumstance, which is perfect. And I think Sam posts, I think we've covered most of the things which happens in terms of the settlement period. I think the last component is that final inspection mm-hmm. where you've got to make sure as a buyer that, you know, all your appliances are working. The keys have been passed on from the garage, the shed, so on and so forth. And, you know, more importantly, if there were some subject to conditions as part of the contract, right, uh, also as part of the offer that they have been fulfilled, like, you know, you found any doors which were not in good condition, whether they have to be replaced, uh, the fence may have not been proper, whether, you know, you needed to get that attended to, whether that has been looked at when it comes to the final inspection, it's good to always go in there and uh, make sure that everything has been executed correctly. Like in our case, mm-hmm. in uh, example, I remember that, uh, you know, there there wasn't really too much wrong with the property in a way, because uh, I think we'd gone through that building and test inspection and we had ch- checked the appliances. Uh, so we didn't really have anything in the conditions aspect from the appliances perspective. But Sam, did you have something related to the appliance or anything related to your property where you put in a special condition
0: uh, subject uh, I- to final inspection? i did actually so it's it's good that you've mentioned that so what my partner and i did was just put in a clause saying that the tiles on the roof needed Mm -hmm. just to be uh fixed up before Mm -hmm. we we moved in and settled to the property so that was just something that came out in the building and past that you know there was just a couple of crack tiles on the roof and yeah. we just wanted those to be fixed up prior to my partner and i moving in just so that you know if there was a freak uh, storm or something there, there wasn't the risk of water leaking and things like that happening yep. to the property so we just added that in there was evidence provided that the roofing tiles did get fixed up prior to our final inspection which was really good so we got a copy of the receipt the things that were done to the roof so that was fulfilled so that was nice but i guess yeah for people out there if you do put in those conditions just make sure that you know they've been fulfilled and as jude said make sure you've got all the keys for everything because you know there are Generally, quite a lot of keys for a house with with not only garages and sheds, but also maybe windows and other little locks around the house, you know, a fly screen door, whatever it might be, just make sure you have all of those. Another thing that was really important, I guess, for my partner and myself was just the painting colours. Yep so we got an idea from the owners when we did our final inspection what the Mm -hmm. painting colors were for the wall for the ceiling for different parts of the property you know we we wrote all those down the owners the the ex-owners i should say also showed us you know bare pans of, of of paint where those were located and all those things so it was good to just kind of sort all that out in that final inspection
1: yeah that is good that is good and i think coming back as i said each one's criterion is different before you know, moving in to the Mm. property once your settlement's done. Like in our case, I remember we we definitely had all the um, keys handed over to us. But obviously, my wife was of the opinion that in spite of all of that, we will get everything, (laughs) every lock changed in the house. (laughs) So we did.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, when it comes to painting, as you said, right, uh, it's each one's choice. So whether, you know, you want to really stay with the same colors as the house or you want to go in and, you know, renovate a bit. And i think that's that's an important point which i think from personal experience makes sense that we had an, we had an idea as to when the settlement date is so if in case you're thinking of any renovations to take place and you know post the handover of the keys by the real estate agent it's essential to start off your project planning a bit in advance because it's sometimes difficult to get contractors to come in and do you know the the different uh, tasks that you want them to a few of things which really come to mind is obviously you know uh, movers and packers ensure that you've got the date all uh, settled down with them if you want to do any of the painting work any of changing of flows and you know um so your carpets your floor boarding so on and so forth so you've got to make sure that you treat that as a project so to speak right up till you really you feel comfortable to move in so, and again, from personal experience, we had uh, given ourselves a two weeks window post settlement date that we get all the contractors in and get everything done. Mm. And that's what we had to do, like, you know, con- uh, coordinate with the other uh, painters, with the floor boarding and carpet uh, service providers and get everything sorted out. And another thing which I think is crucial is obviously to connect the utilities, Uh, (laughs) Because important elements like electricity, gas, uh, internet, for instance, right, uh, is something which is going to be, you want it to be up and running as soon as you get in. So a lot of research comes into hand when you're, you know, trying to narrow down about your service providers when it comes to electricity and gas, and obviously the internet. And uh, I think the same applied for you as well, Sam, I think you definitely went through a lot of research for those providers.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think now that we are experiencing you know pretty dramatic um, prices for both electricity and gas it's really prudent and wise to do your own research definitely use government websites for comparisons don't use something that you've just found on google because more than likely it's actually paid advertising and it's not actually a true comparison the results are going to be skewered towards, you know, whoever's paid the highest um, marketing fee, really, for those kind of comparisons. So use something that's going to be non biased and in most cases, that's going to be government websites, and that's going to give you a much better non biased comparison, and that way you can get the cheapest price for your particular area and then save you money in the long run. Uh, So definitely do that before moving in. For my partner and I, we also left about a week, a week and a half before we actually moved in. So when we settled, we got the keys from the agent and we were able then to organize contractors to go in and do a little bit of work to our property as well. Before we moved in, we only just had the floorboards uh, done up in our property before we moved in. So there were carpets there before we just had those uh, taken out and, and put floorboards in there. But still, you know, it's a little bit of work prior to moving in. So I guess, you know, just make sure any kind of renovation or painting or anything like that, use the opportunity that you have when the property is vacated to get all of that organized so yep. that it doesn't need to be done when you move in and you've got all this furniture and boxes lying around. You definitely don't want it to take place when, when that's happening. Yeah, spot on, spot
1: on, absolutely. Makes, makes sense, uh, Sam. And I think once we're done with all of that, I think the next step is obviously just move in and celebrate. I think (laughs) it's pretty much is a pretty long drawn out process. um, And you've got to take that moment to, uh, you know, just celebrate those small achievements in life. Right. So absolutely. You've got to take a pause, uh, move in, but make sure that you celebrate with with your partner that you've done and accomplished such a big thing
0: yeah absolutely spot on there. You have to celebrate a milestone such as buying your own property it's a really big one especially if it's your first property so you know definitely take that moment to to celebrate and reflect on you know the big achievement that's just taken place and also all the hard work so I think Jude and I have mentioned numerous points and steps and tips (laughs) throughout (laughs) our podcast so it's it's quite an extensive list of things that you know someone has to do in order to purchase their house so I guess it's definitely important just to take a moment to pause reflect celebrate go out and, and have a nice dinner have some have some wine and just celebrate the moment so definitely very important to do that also i guess if you've got people to help you move that's you know a godsend there's there's definitely a lot of boxes and things that need to be moved around when you are moving so if you can get some help take take that take that on board i think my partner and i were really fortunate to have parents in law to kind of you know come in and help us with all that settling in once uh, once we had our property it probably took us a, a good 2 3 months to be honest since we you know moved in and were completely settled it probably took us a couple of months before you know we were able to fully appreciate the property and enjoy you know what we had just done but i think that's normal like um do you, how long did it take you to you know unpack everything and settle everything into your new property
1: yeah it's, i'm still settling in some
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, there's, there's still five boxes uh, that need to be opened up yeah <laughs> it's
1: definitely a never ending process <laughs> because you always like, you, know, you always think, wow, there's one empty space right there. Let's fill it up with something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it did take some time, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously uh, one thing is for you to get accustomed to a new way of living, uh, you know, versus where you were staying earlier. Like we were staying in an apartment to move to a house itself was a, diff- a big experience, but then for us to really get used to this whole thing, I think it took us almost two months to really get into, you know, the rigors of uh, day-to-day movements without within the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. But I think once that was done, we, you know, as you rightly said, it. you look back and say, Hey, you know what, we've done it in a way that we've bought this property, which is our special property, uh, like our special place we call home now, right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's how it is. Uh, it's just about you constantly trying to get used to the place. As I said, there's always going to be new things coming in. So that's a never ending process, but mm-hmm. that's, that's how life is.
0: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All righty, so I think we'll give this one a wrap now and I've hoped our listeners have learned something. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Until next time. All right, see ya. This concludes part B of episode 14. Stay tuned for part C, where we interview an experienced mortgage broker for some insights into the current Australian market.